Hey everybody, welcome to Animates. I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And uh, today we are going to be discussing, for our premium-only subscribers, the 1996 Disney Renaissance classic, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The somewhat baffling adaptation of Victor Hugo's novel of the same name. Those of you who are not premium subscribers will have access. This will be two weeks after the release. So if you want things <laughs> early, you know, you know what to do. Smash give that us like a dollar or something. We don't have tears or anything. You can literally just give us a dollar. <laughs> I like this movie. And I like it a lot. When, when I, we were deciding what to watch, it's so hard because there's so much Disney. And I always remember as a kid, this movie being some like it just it, it's such an odd duck compared yes. to all the others. It absolutely. So here for a little context, we decided for this bonus episode to do something from the Disney Renaissance. Disney had its own renaissance because they didn't really like you may remember as a child that you definitely watched really like old Disney movies like you watched Snow White, you watched Sleeping Beauty, you watched Bambi. Do you remember anything that you watched that was a Disney movie from like the late 70s or like the 80s? Like maybe one or two things like maybe like the Fox and the Hound might have been in the 70s. Like was the Rescuers Disney? I don't know. Maybe. Right. Yes, it was. What about. Uh, the movie that created a ton of furries, uh, Robin Hood. Oh, the Robin Hood where they're the foxes. I think yeah. that's from like the 60s. But like generally, though, there's not as much stuff from that era. But then beginning in, I believe, beginning in 1989 with the release of The Little Mermaid, Disney had its own renaissance. And so you'll remember as... Movie-going children in the 90s and 2000s, we were blessed to just have hit after hit after hit. We've got The Little Mermaid. We've got The Lion King. We've got Pocahontas. We've got Mulan. This is when we get brown people in Disney things, you know, Aladdin, right? This is, you know, hit after hit after hit. And in the And they chose to go with, like, a greater diversity of source material in that they strayed from Northwest Europe slightly. You know, we're like, we're going to Southern Europe. You know, we're going to we're going to China briefly with our source material. But in the midst, we get what is neither a myth nor a historical tale, but a novel written by Victor Hugo, also author of Les Miserables. All known for telling stories where everything is horrible all of the time and nothing good ever happens to anybody. And they were like, you know what we should do? We should make this man's writing into a children's musical. I think that and they one, did. And, and I think that one thing that comes from that is the fact that um, there's a lot of the changes that were made. They, they very much make sense, but it is kind of funny. I, I think it bears very little resemblance to its actual source material. Like, oh, very little. It's kind very of very like, little. So you know how, like, sometimes you'll take a, you can take a cake and then you can bake it and you can hollow it out 
and fill it with like sweet ganache or cream or whatever. This mm-hmm. feels like they they left like the very thinnest veneer of cake. And it's like okay, e- everything inside is just creamy filling that's not cake. To, to the credit of the folks at the Walt Disney Company, um, except for the talking gargoyles, everyone who's a character in the movie is actually a character in the book. And excepting the last 10 to 15 minutes, everything that happens in the movie happens in the book, just not necessarily to the same people or in the same order. Okay, yes, but but the, <laughs> okay, but again, that's that veneer. Like, but the 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 major plot points, the tone, and like the the meaning of all of these events is much darker in the original te- in the original text. Oh yeah, definitely, because it's like okay, so they do a classic Disney thing where at the beginning. Uh, there's a character, he's called Clopin, and he is, uh, let's, we'll address it momentarily, but as they say in the movie, he's a, he's a gypsy, um, and he is a, uh, like a puppeteer and a fool and an, and an entertainer, right? And he acts as a sort of narrator. In the book, he is king, he is quote unquote king of the gypsies in the book, right? Um, but that's not really what he is in the movie. And he sings a whole song and he tells the whole, he does all the exposition about like, oh, like there's Judge Claude Frollo and he wants to exterminate vice and like he sees faults everywhere but within, you know, and then he he especially hates these brown people and wants to drive them from the city. There's one and he chases her down and she falls on the ground and she fucking dies. And then it turns out she was holding a baby and the baby was all deformed he was gonna throw out of the well and then like the priest in notre dame is like how dare you and forces him to raise the child or whatever and then he classic disney outright states the theme of the film he he says to the viewer who is the monster and who is the man let's begin the film now (laughs) all right so i think when i like to begin Let's get an idea of who the cast is, who who we've got going here, because some people are kind of actually most of the cast. I just don't know who they are. Um, They're I, mostly unknown as popular figures. Yeah. But some of them do have some star power. Um, mm-hmm. So the 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 main cast centers around, I think it's fair to say four people. Yes, I would agree. Right. So we have Quasimodo. The the titular hero, who is the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> he he has okay. He's swole as fuck in this. He's ripped, dude. He's, he's ripped. like super like ripped from ringing those bells all the time. Apparently, apparently that's also part of the book, though. That he's completely capable of just like swinging around all over the place on ropes on the outside of the cathedral he's just like i'm good i've got it under control but he does have uh he does have a number of physical physical deformities so he's got a hunchback but he's his face has 
issues. It's not it's not what you would expect a face to be shaped like, basically, is right. what I would say. I'm like, uh, like, you know, you look at it, you're like, I don't know if this is an actual deformity that exists in real humans. Like, if that's like a real, like, big swollen looking eye is like a real birth defect that people can actually have, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it's like a bunch of things. Um, and he otherwise is a normal, like, he, that's kind of the point is he's otherwise like a fairly normal, like, acting person. He's just very sheltered. Because he lives his life stuck in Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, he's voiced by Tom Hulse, who also sings. Oh, wait. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who, who also sings. So Disney does this thing like a lot of animated musicals do, where sometimes their voice actor is not their singer. So he played both. He did, he did both. Yes. Uh, a little too much vibrato, if you ask me. Um, yeah, sometimes when they do that, they don't pick the greatest singers, necessarily. I mean, I think he was a good singer, I just felt that he used too much vibrato. That's fair. That's a, <laughs> that, that, that's a fair critique. Uh, you know, the songs that stick out to me are not the ones that he sings. No, no, uh, I agree. Uh, you know, uh, okay, so let's... We'll circle back to Quasimodo, because I have thoughts about him as the, 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 the main character here. Demi mm -hmm. Moore voices the... Okay, so let's deal with it now. Because let's I, address that. Okay. They use the word gypsy. That's the word that is used in yeah. every interaction in the movie. For those of you who are unaware, that is generally considered to be a pretty bad description of that particular ethnic group. It's widely considered to be a racial slur. Many people in the United States don't know that because there aren't very many Roma people in the United States. Um, it's very different in Europe. But that is, um, to be fair also to the creator, to be fair to the creators of the movie, one, many people in the United States don't know that because there's very little opportunity to interact with Roma people. And two, that is what they say in the book. Um, Vic, that's what Victor Hugo wrote in the book. So I'm not going to attribute like active malice to that particular choice. It's just one of those things that's like knowing what we know now, maybe we wouldn't have made that decision. Um, I don't know, Chris, do you think should we should we I'll should we just... say it because that's what they say in the movie or should we try and endeavor to say Roma? <laughs> we've we've literally never had this come up before where we're like, are we going to go with literalism or are we going to yeah. do the thing? I will probably. Uh, it's hard. I think yeah. I will only use the word gypsy if it is vital to the meaning of whatever is being said so like yes, repeating yeah like repeating repeating quotes from somebody quotes. or yep. or or stuff like that otherwise i'll probably just refer to them as roma um i agree so yeah have that conversation with your kids if you ever watch this movie um so esmeralda is played by demi moore <laughs> who is you should know you should know who demi moore is you should at least have heard that name uh but she had a singer she was sung by Heidi Mollenhauer. So dual sort of split role there. Um, okay, and then we have um we have 
Cletus, the gallant captain of the guard, who he refers to returning home from the war. We all know what he means. He means crusades, because this is set in 1460. So he means crusade. Well, I don't know. You know what? 1460, I'm not sure if that is a crusade. That might be a war with England. Um, Not sure on that. Hundred Years War. Ah, there we go. Hundred Years War. Okay, so some act of the Hundred Years War. But his name is Phoebus, and he is voiced by Kevin Kline, whom you may know as Mr. Fish Odor. (laughs) When I heard his voice. Mm Mm-hmm. I knew it immediate, like I recognized it immediately, and I just started picturing scenes from Bob's Burgers. And you should watch the show if you haven't. But Mr. Fishoder is a very weird, weird, weird character. So, um, it it was just a very weird dissonant moment. I love Mr. Fishoder, so I was very happy. And then there is Judge Claude Frollo. Arguably the real star of the movie. Um, and he is voiced by Tony J. And I, he's just some old British guy who was in a lot of stuff back in the day, but nothing that you would really recognize. Yeah, he was he's he's done a couple of voices for other things. He's he stars uh, like as a guest star sometimes in some uh, like live TV shows. He he actually has quite the voice acting like voice acting in cartoons, uh, real. God, but like weird? nothing else that's like no no other like starring roles or anything really. Yeah, I, he definitely he definitely was is a side character guy. Yes, definitely. But his voice is perfect for for oh, Frollo. Like it's awesome, beautiful. just great. Like, way to be. Don't even care that there's, like, everybody else sounds American and also this is supposed to be in France. Why is this man British? Like, it's fine. (laughs) Like, I don't even care. And he sings very well. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because he sings what I think is arguably the greatest Disney song, Hellfire. (laughs) Yeah, he it's Uh, it's this movie's I Want song. Yes. Yes, definitely. He, he wants like Esmeralda. <laughs> yes, he's like, look, this is what the situation is going to be for Act Three of this movie. I'm going to lay it out for you here in this song. <laughs> Otherwise, like there, there are there are a variety of other people who voice act a lot of different characters, but they don't really matter that much yeah. like oh, i'm not sure whoever did clopan has like the best singing voice of anybody in the movie for sure yeah so clopan was voiced by paul kendall i don't know how that is oh yeah and jason alexander is one of the talking gargoyles so just just so you're prepared for that if you watch it because neither of us were we had completely forgotten that from our childhoods so we came on screen we were like george the the oh yeah <laughs> Paul Costanza that <laughs> I know that's not his name, but I always like, I'm just like, that, that's him. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I never, like I, I've never really seen Seinfeld. Um, Interesting. It just didn't do it for me. Um, yeah. I like, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm almost like, well, Chris, have you never had a boyfriend? Because that's how most of us are subjected to Seinfeld. <laughs> 
I don't, I don't, I've never been with anybody who subjected me to Seinfeld. <laughs> it's fine. Blake really likes it. And um, Scott <laughs> from college really, really like, liked Seinfeld so yeah, much. So Scott, Scott and I still regularly interact. So this has come up multiple <laughs> times. But I uh, is, is, Shout out Scott. <laughs> is, is, is Blake a really big fan of Larry David in general? He does like Larry David. I like that's a, is like we used to have access to like HBO Go and he would watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. And when he would watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, I would leave the room because I just like couldn't like I Seinfeld's fine. I can watch one, maybe two episodes of Seinfeld. My limit for how much Curb Your Enthusiasm I can watch at any given time is like a third of an episode. I'm like, it's just too much. I can't do this. Too much secondhand pain. Yeah. Definitely. So we've got a, 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 a fairly small main cast. And really, this, this movie, I haven't seen in, year, like, forever. So I was surprised because there's really not a ton of non-singing stuff. Especially not for the first, like, 20 minutes. The first 20 minutes is, like, a true, like, like a stage musical, you know, where it's almost entirely singing with brief speaking interludes. Towards the end, you do get more non-singing, but just, I, I, I think, compared to things like Cinderella, Pocahontas, The Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. there's just back-to-back songs. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's and really like, weird. It's really good, like, and it's good, like, it's good. Like, the music is really good. It's, like, very orchestral. It really feels a lot more like, like, a stage musical than it does, like, the sort of Disney house style. They really took the opportunity to capture the feeling of being a peasant in the shadow of Notre Dame. Yes, yes. They really captured the gothic there's lots of choir there's lots of bells and and like big orchestrations like low-key gregorian chant (laughs) they sing in latin that actually Mm -hmm. means stuff yes and it's it's very grand like it's a very grand sound they really capture which is it stands in such stark contrast to like Aladdin, The Little Mermaid, all of those are like Pocahontas yeah. even. They have you know, there, there's no like Hakuna Matata. No, it's much more serious than that. Like, like the Esmeralda's big song is called God Help the Outcasts and as is structured as a prayer like that many of the songs are structured as prayers actually. Like it's structured as a prayer while she walks through Notre Dame. And like Hellfire, it's like it starts out as Ave Maria. Like he's literally praying to Mary about like his dilemma. It's a, it's the the like the level of like religio. They didn't really shy away from it too much. Like I'm like this is like way more religious than most you would expect from a Disney movie, really. Yeah, so that I think that's a good like the okay. So the plot just to get it out of the way, like, is really simple. Yeah. Quasimodo is found as a child by Frollo, who killed his mom. 
Mm-hmm. It was an act. It's like, I would say it's at least manslaughter. Like, he didn't mean for her to die, but it's definitely his fault. So Frollo is basically forced by a priest for like, you know. You, As an act of penance. You're yeah. going to burn in hell if you don't take this child in kind, kind of thing. So he takes him in, he raises him. He keeps him locked away from the world. And Quasimodo grows up. He wants to go to a festival. Frollo's like, Ree, people having fun. Like, all those, in Frollo's words, like, all those gypsies running around, just frivolity and blah, it sucks. You can't go. Um, so at that point, Quasimodo goes. <laughs> like, of course he does. Where he meets... His Esme. talking gargoyle friends convince him he should go. Right, okay, so there are... T- the. Disney has to have talking inanimate objects. It is it is required. It is a requirement, right? Poco- Can you imagine? So, like, even with the change, the changes from the novel itself, imagine the movie without the talking gargoyles. Well, Pretty fucking grim for a kids' movie. Right. There's nobody. There's a, there would essentially be nobody to pick Quasimodo up. Yes. He would be alone. Yes. Which would be much more poignant as a story, but certainly kids would have a hard time. Yes. That like kids need an on ramp for the hard <laughs> scenes, and those gargoyles are that on ramp. Yes, definitely. So he goes to the festival. He gets found out. Uh. The Festival of Fools celebrates, like, everything is upside down, so they're looking for the ugliest mask, and they celebrate Quasimodo, and then in true peasant fashion, the crowd turns on him in a moment and starts throwing stuff at him when he's strapped to a pillory. Just to be clear, though, um, they turn on him after... Bucking Frollo's troops, the cops, after the cops throw shit at him. So, like, truly, even in the 1460s, a cab. Yeah, so, and Frollo's presiding over all of this, right? Quasimodo's adoptive father. And he just lets Quasimodo get humiliated. And I truly, it truly feels like the crowd is about to, like, literally, like, Get into a freaking blood frenzy. Like, tear him to pieces, yeah. Esmeralda comes out and realizes that he needs help. So she tries to save him, and she's a badass, and she evades the cops, and... She's well, literally magic, which is pretty racist, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> she she uses sleight of hand magic. Like, I don't know. <laughs> she uses stage magic. Well, she uses smoke bombs, but I don't know how she gets the, so far away after using the smoke bomb unless she's really magic. Just saying. Okay, so. Oh, this is also the scene where there's the meme that you may have seen where she's like trying to free like Quasimodo and Frollo's being like, no, don't free him. Let him be humiliated. He needs to be humiliated to learn a lesson. And, uh, you know, she's like bitching at him and being like, you're an oppressor. And he goes, silence. And she goes, justice. And it's it's a huge meme, like her hair and her earrings bounce around and she puts her fist in the air. (laughs) 
So she, they get away. They both get away. And at this point, like Phoebus has been in there where you can clearly, he's clearly being set up as the good cop, right? Like he's, he's the soldier with a conscience. He's also hot for Esmeralda. Yeah. So he goes looking for Esmeralda who takes sanctuary in the church. Like that's basically, she gets a Quasimodo saves her by that's play- later oh my gosh am it's, i getting it's it's phoebus who does it basically he like follows her in there and like when they follow him it follow he's like talking to her and the guards follow him in she's like he's like oh sorry she's claimed sanctuary which like traps her in the church but it also makes it so they can't arrest because they want to arrest her both for interfering and for witchcraft now um, but because she's in the church and she's claimed the right of sanctuary, they cannot come into the church and arrest her. Right, because at this point, the church is an institution. It's like it's cons- like in many places that's still allowed. Like, I'm not sure what the situation is in America, but in many places, that's still the situation. Like if you go into a church and like claim asylum in the church, the police cannot come into the church and take you. And in many places. So that's what happens. And that's where Quasimodo and Esmeralda kind of get to know each other. And of course she has to leave. So she eventually leaves and escapes Paris. She's going to leave because, you know, she's hot. Like, not physically hot. Like, she's got five five stars in GTA. Yeah. (laughs) So she's going to have to, she's going to have to flee the city. But she does, like... She gives Quasimodo like a special necklace that says like that tells him she's like, this will tell you how to find the Court of Miracles, which is where the Roma people hang out in the city and hide so they don't get genocided by Frollo. Um, And he's like, what? Okay, I get like it's it's a necklace, but okay, thank you, I guess. So it, it is important to note that during the altercation with the. With the the cops in the Festival of Fools scene, he does show, like, lust towards her. Very creepy lust. I mean, like... It's important. Which character shows that? Frollo. Okay. It's important to set that up because it sets up, like, why he cares so much. Yes, sorry, I just wanted to be clear because all three male main characters do, like, want her. But only Frollo wants her in a creepy way. Um, the other two, like, uh, Phoebus wants her in, like, the way a man wants a woman. And, like, uh, Quasimodo wants her in, like, a wholesome kind of sad way. Yeah, and you could already see it coming from a mile away. It's classic setup. It's like, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it later, but it's getting set up as you love people for their insides not their outsides yes however esmeralda (laughs) does not choose quasimodo no no um so you're already getting the hit of this tension but but frollo Mm -hmm. sniffs her hair in a it's uh, fucked up it's it's so so, upsetting it's very upsetting (laughs) so we we understand this guy's motivation like he's we understand the beginnings of his true sort of like descent, which 
makes him a super complicated villain. Like, you can already see he's, like, he is power hungry, but he also wants to be pious. He's got lust in his heart. Yeah, it's like, like he has up to this point in his life, so far as we know, acted with the fervor of a zealot. You know, um, you know, he he wants power for himself, but he he, you know, what like he's he's motivated by like like real true sincere, you know, um, if overly intense belief to do things that are very harmful. But he begins to descend into temptation and he, of course, blames Esmeralda as the, you know, uh, you know, uh, exotic temptress, right? For for tempting him into sin. It hits differently after incels became a Ooh, thing. yeah. Like, it, hit, yeah. it hits differently now. Because mm-hmm. all I can think of is, like, it's your fault for making me horny. Yeah, and you know what? Like, women, like, women of our generation are very much, like, not fooled by that. And I think maybe this movie had something to do with that. It's like, look, a guy who's, like, mad at a woman because he thinks she's hot, he's the villain. <laughs> like, well, He is a villainous person. I mean, and it's not like there aren't other, like, in, in, incels are the most recent iteration, but it's not like there aren't old patriarchal pa- practices that essentially amount to that. Like, yeah. Like, I, that kind of seems like that happens in modesty societies where they're like, you have to cover up and it's your fault if I get horny. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, yes, there's, you know, like, just to be clear, virtually every religion in the world has some kind of like modesty related, like head covering and whether or not to wear it is and should be a woman's personal spiritual choice between her and her God and no one else. However, there are many cultures that misappropriate that and that try and force people to do it because of gross patriarchal reasons. Yeah. Just to make sure we're clear on that. <laughs> that was a very concise asterisk footnote thank you um so she escapes frollo basically says well i'm gonna burn down the city to find her that's when he sings hellfire which is basically a song expounding on this conflict right i'm a pious person i've always tried to be this but i also want this beautiful woman she will be mine and nobody else's I see her, her. I feel her, the sunlight in her raven hair. (laughs) They use the word. It's a really fucking good song. (laughs) They use the word licentious in a Disney song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, again, this is like, this begins like, Ave Maria. Like, this is addressed, this is a prayer to Mary. But then at the end, he's just like, okay, you know what? Uh, he says, choose me or your pyre. So he's basically, and he says, she will be mine or she will burn. That he's, so either she will become his sexual plaything or he will literally burn her at the stake. <laughs> um, and then at the end, he passes out from being too horny. <laughs> Just the sheer, the sheer horniness of this man. He falls flat on his face in the middle of like a stone hall. <laughs> A, a less 
a, a more traditional reading would say that during this prayer, he experiences intense emotions that tucker him out. But <laughs> he the like the symbolism of the scene happens in the visual medium. So it's kind of hard to describe it. It's really um, like it's such a like I can't overstate the degree to which it is an incredible scene. Like, the song is really good. Like, there's all kinds of cool, like, fire animation. It's it's so good. It, it, I think it really sort of showcases what Disney would be capable of if they weren't shackled to the kids' market. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I You know, no, like, props to children. Obviously, storytelling has gotten more <laughs> ma- mature, but... Like, this song, let's give the children their due <laughs> this song is about a dude who's like I want you to have sex with I want your supple skin or I will kill you like yeah they're, they're, like, there's no it's really like kid. I think when kids heard this song they probably they would probably get he really wants her but I don't like they wouldn't get they wouldn't get the the I wouldn't even call it subtext, just the text. Um, And I think adults would. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you could have a lot of other stuff like that in a lot of other movies, but Mm -hmm. you can't because you're you're in the kids market. So it's kind of it's both great and it kind of makes me mad because I'm like, well, I want something like this more, please. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Right. Like, this is so good. Like, it's it's so good. And it also foreshadows the fact that the third act of the movie will involve a lot of fire. Yeah, so basically... Like, a lot of fire. <laughs> yeah, so at, th- so at this point, Frollo basically runs around trying to find Esmeralda, commands Phoebus to do some light murder. <laughs> yeah, you know, light murder, where you lock an entire family, including their children, in their mill and burn it down. You know, Again, like... That I'm I'm honestly shocked that this was a movie. Like, granted, yeah, I mean, like for children. <laughs> in Poca, like you could say, well, in Pocahontas, they were like talking about like war and like a genocide, and I'm like, yeah, but were they? It's really? way more abstract. It's way more like they. There's a bunch of like, oh, we're gonna fight each other, but this is an on-screen dude saying we're gonna show this family. Then we're going to show you putting them in their house. And then we're going to actively show this dude causing this thing to burn immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're going to show the family and the children. We're going to show him put them in the house. We're going to show him lock the door and say burn it. And then in case it wasn't clear, someone else is going to be like, no, you can't do that to these people. And he says... Make a lesson of them. They're traitors for no reason. For no reason, he says that. And then take it himself and light the shit on fire. And then, like, then someone else pointedly breaks a window and gets them out. And they're all like, "Uh, uh, 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 there's smoke in my lungs because I was in a house that's on fire. Uh, uh." Well, (laughs) Phoebus refuses the order. And then when the mill catches on fire way too fast, by the way. So fast. It was insane. It was instant. Uh, Instantaneous. I know it was made of straw, but come on, man. So Phoebus saves the family and then he gets knocked out and imprisoned. But as no, 
He gets injured. Esmeralda saves him because she's yeah, hiding. Yeah, he, like, he rides away, and um, it's like an Aragorn situation. He gets shot in the shoulder and, like, falls off of a bridge and into the river. But she gets him out of the river. So they, they escape. Esmeralda seeks out Quasimodo to help Phoebus and leaves. And mm-hmm. Frollo returns accusing Quasimodo of helping Esmeralda, which he did. And uh, at that point, Quasimodo and Phoebus try to go warn the Roma that Frollo is going to come kill them. And they inadvertently lead Frollo right into the Court of Miracles. And Esmeralda's placed on a pyre. Quasimodo's locked in his tower. Phoebus is also going to get hanged, I think, yeah. or burns. And yeah, he's injured and chained up, too, so he's he's helpless. Uh, Frollo starts the pyre. Quasimodo says, fuck it, and saves Esmeralda, but it looks like she's dead. By breaking iron and stone pillars, he is chained with iron shackles to multiple stone pillars and he pulls them down. Yeah, he's a beast. He he lifts. He doesn't skip arm day. No, no. It's like it's like it's also like okay, are, am I also meant to believe that because he is a hunchback that also grants him like freakish supernatural strength, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Uh he Frollo comes up. It looks like Esmeralda's dead. Frollo's going to stab Quasimodo in the back. Um, Frollo gets surprised because Esmeralda wakes up. And so they go through this chase where Quasimodo and Esmeralda are running away. Um, They fall off the side and Frollo's about to kill them. But he gets hoisted by his own petard and falls off the roof. And he essentially, in true Disney fashion, like, quote unquote, kills himself. He doesn't commit suicide, but he he creates the conditions that lead to his own death. Yes, no one else is responsible for it. It is a classic petard hoisting. (laughs) And then Quasimodo goes like at the end of the movie after Paris is burning and the Peasant hordes have been whipped up by Phoebus to overthrow this judge, right? At the end of the movie, Esmeralda and Phoebus are together. They're there. Quasimodo takes each of their hands and puts their hands together and smiles at them. Like, no, you should be together. I'm an ugly monster and don't deserve love. (laughs) I'm so upset. And that's how the movie ends. Yes. So, how does this differ from the source text? I think it's important because it shows how Disney works, right? So when we talk about Disney's effect on children, I think when I was, like, this happens with the comparisons to Brothers Grimm all the time, right? And it it, it shocked me as as a young, like as a teenager to learn wow, they really censored a lot of these old stories. And I think it shows an underlying ethos as culture has progressed, how people have started to treat children, like after the Industrial Revolution, 
arguably after World War II, even, maybe. And this, I feel like this book kind of continues in that tradition of softening the edges of otherwise complex stories. Yeah, because it's like, I would say that for a Disney movie, this is quite grim and quite complex. But in the book, in addition to basically everything happening in a different order and to different people, the most important thing I think to note is that Esmeralda straight up fucking dies. She dies. She is burned to death. And then in the wake of her death, Quasimodo disappears. And then later in the charnel house where they throw the graves of killers, they find his deformed skeleton because he went and he laid next to her body until he wasted away and died. And that's how the book ends. Yeah. So it, Esmeralda is also 16. Yes. In the book. She is a child. She's she, a child. She dies on the pyre set by Frollo. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Phoebus gets stabbed in the back and dies. Mm -hmm. Quasimodo has no gargoyles to help him. He literally throws Frollo off of the walls of Notre Dame, throws him right off. And an important distinction, I think, is that Frollo's an archdeacon, or uh, yeah, he's an archdeacon. Yes, he is a minister of the church, not a civil official. Yeah, so this is part of, like, Disney very overtly is showing all of this religious iconography and structure in a very positive light. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. No, like, the, 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 the person in charge of the church is a character, and he's a very kind man who tries to do the right thing. And all the religious stuff is shown to be good, and Frollo is bad because he, like... It's like a perversion. Right. So, Disney has turned this into something very... I think that's very important. I I think Victor Hugo would have, like, France at the time, like, Hugo was writing in the mid-early... It was written in the 1830s. Right, so early, like, the early 1800s, like... After the first, was it also after the second portion of the French Revolution? Um, yeah, so it was before the events of Les Mis that this was written, I believe. Right. Um, but, like, after, it's post-Napoleon that this is written, but before the events of Les Mis. So I, I think it's important to point out the fact that at, like, between like the late 1700s and early 1800s like there were a lot of people who were like very anti-theist yes there were particularly in france people felt that like the church had too much influence that the church was a corrupt institution with like a fundamental rot at its core that did bad things to society so like that was one of the major battlegrounds of the French Revolution was what what to civically do with the church and that got kind of crazy but the point is is that I think the source material having a man of the church not just a church Notre Dame right yeah the pill like the pillar of Parisian Catholicism French Catholicism whatever you want to call it this grand place was rotten 
mm-hmm. right? It was a rotten person. And I think there's a generous way to read that, which is all men are men. Yes. And, and, and can, can sin and can be, can do these bad things because we're, we're humans. Mm-hmm. But also like the commentary is completely lost here because he's a judge and not an archdeacon. Um, mm-hmm. That I, I that that paints the religious aspect in an, a a at the very least, very different neut- light, yeah. neutral at worst. Yes, it's Good not critical. Best. It's it's one of those things where it's like it's not the church that's bad; it's people's misuse of it that's bad. You know, it's like, and to be clear, it, that's distinct from it's not like religion or the concept of jesus or christianity that's bad it's it's people's use of it that's bad it's not the church it's not the institution of the catholic church that is not bad it's people's use of it that's bad which kind of makes sense because disney probably didn't want the catholic church is very powerful and it still had a significant cachet in in the 90s like People knew and some stuff was going down, but the events of the film Spotlight had not yet happened so at the I, time this movie was made. So I think that a case can be made that that Disney just didn't really want to deal with that aspect of it. So they just they just smoothed it over. They just didn't. <laughs> right. And so we see as a kid, like children are just saying, oh, cool. The Catholic Church is cool when that story is like not supposed to go that way at all no no just just like like just like in the little mermaid like her taking legs and having needles is supposed to mean something right yeah um Mm -hmm. so i feel like that gets lost and i feel like that's a a shame maybe even bad i might say that's a bad thing that they did yeah it's, it's interesting because i think that the so the the moral that they try that they explicitly say in this movie, like the the moral interpretation that they give to this storytelling for for children, is like, um, like being a monster isn't about how you look; it's about what you do, and you know there can be people who look frightening, and are really good people, and there can be people who are supposed to be figures of authority and people that you can trust who do really bad things, you know? And I think that that is, like, that is a good moral lesson for children. Absolutely. It is not a bad moral lesson. It's good. But there are more complex social critiques that are in that book, because let's be clear, Victor Hugo was all about the social critique, um, that are papered over to the extent that they're almost reversed in the movie. Well, and I, 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 it's not that Quasimodo ended up with Esmeralda in the end of the book or anything, but I also feel like the, that lesson semi gets undercut by the fact that Esmeralda chooses Phoebus instead of Quasimodo. I don't know. I, I go back and forth on that um, a little bit, but I, I feel like another. But at the same time, like as a modern audience, as like adults looking back, we can say maybe it was good to have a like a Disney movie with like one of the few that has has a male protagonist. Like they don't, at least at the time, there weren't a ton of male protagonists where they say saving the girl 
doesn't entitle you to her affection. Like, he saved her, and she still doesn't feel that way about him. And he's chill about it, and he accepts it, and he understands that the fact that he saved her doesn't mean that she has to be with him now. You know what? I, yeah, I think, I think that's fair. It's a little undercut by the fact that Phoebus kind of saves her, but then again, she saves Phoebus more. They are, well, and, and something that's good about the Phoebus Esmeralda situation is that they are on equal footing, right? Because it's like, okay, so, like, Frollo is, is in a position of authority over her, literally has the power of life and death over her, and he wants to coerce her into a relationship by using that as a threat. Whereas because of social circumstances, Quasimodo is actually far below her and is only able to really interact with her in this sort of like worshipful way that isn't the way that like human beings who have been like socialized appropriately interact with one another, especially if they want to pursue a romantic relationship. Whereas she and Phoebus are in equal footing and are able to interact with each other in a normal way and enter into a relationship on, like, reasonable terms. Okay. I buy that. I have yeah. I have no critiques of that. Yeah, because I guess <laughs> it, it does, like, Quasimodo is so socially outmatched. It's like he's yes. essentially being given a shot of cocaine when she is nice to him. Yeah, because it's like, so for like, like, let's list the ways like he is like, literally, he looks a way that would cause him to be an outcast and socially isolated in our modern society, let alone in the like, 1460 early modern in early modern Europe, where often people believed that outward deformities reflected inward defects of like spirit and character, right? That philosophy he was, is known as essentialism. There you go. Um, he was also uh, raised in a bell tower with the explicit purpose of nobody ever seeing him. So he only ever had social interaction with one person. And that person gaslit and psychologically abused him every day of his entire life. So Quasimodo doesn't have any social skills. Like he is... And the, like, I'm not going to say, I don't know what the prognosis would be, but like, at least at the time of the events of the film, he is incapable of interacting with other people in a normal way. And I would argue it would be like irresponsible for a normally socialized person to enter into a sexual relationship with him. Yeah, I think I, I think that's fair. And now that yeah. Quasi, like Quasimodo gets hugged by a little young girl, random. She like gently like rubs, she walks up to him and she gently like rubs his face so and like maybe, hugs him. It's really weird. Maybe now he'll <laughs> be a part of the society. Yeah. Which is totally laughable to believe that it would be that easy. I know, right? It's like, I'm sorry, no. That's not what would happen. Like, it would be I, more of a Frankenstein situation. So, I okay, so that, maybe that lesson isn't as, maybe the beauty is on the inside lesson isn't as stomped on as I originally mm -hmm. might have thought. Okay? I'll, and, I'll, and, like, but it's like, like, I think with the, it's almost in reaction to Beauty and the Beast, which was, like, criticized even at the time with being, like, well, your whole message is that, like, 
beauty is only skin deep and like true beauty is like who you are as a person or whatever. But you demonstrate that with a guy who's like an abusive dick for most of the movie and then turns out to be secretly hot in the end. Whereas this guy is like, okay, like, no, what matters is being a good person. And this guy is someone who has like every reason to be angry and hateful and is never anything but an incredibly good person to the end. And it doesn't matter that he's ugly because he's a good person. Yeah, I would like to say that I love Beauty and the Beast, but I'm I, I every time I think about it, I think um, women, if you put in the effort to transform your man into a good person, he'll be hot. <laughs> You'll get rewarded for your hard emotional labor. If someone treats you horribly over and over and over again and you just keep being nice, eventually you'll fix them. <laughs> So we don't have that issue here. That is kind of nice. And you know, Esmeralda's, this is another thing that I was unhappy. Esmeralda's a fucking badass. She's awesome. She's super cool. And she's not considered a Disney princess. She, she is like overlooked in other media. And I, I think now that would be fraught with issues because she was labeled as a gypsy and... Mm -hmm that might come with some of its own issues, but I, but still like, I'm kind of mad that we have female characters like Esmeralda, like the whole package. And then we like, there are just other Disney princesses that aren't as cool as she is. No. Yeah. She's cool. She's really cool. She also, she along with another person who is neglected as uh, from being a Disney princess, who is also awesome. Meg from Hercules. Amazing hair. I wish my hair could do that in real life. The level of volume they have like at the crown of their head is truly incredible. You just need to get a Disney budget for your hair. I know. Right. <laughs> then, then you would be able to achieve that. Mm -hmm. um, the, yeah, I do want to say, though, I do think that, like, I feel kind of complicated about her, like, costume, about her clothing, because it's like, okay, yes, this is supposed to be, like, early modern. So, well, their clothes are actually a little inaccurate. Their clothes are a little too medieval for the time period, but whatever. But we've got everybody in, like, doublets and hose and shit like that, like tunics. So, like, yes, I guess her clothes would be kind of a little bit like that, but they are very, very, like, stereotypical. Like, if you think in your head, what does a quote-unquote, like, gypsy woman, like, look like in her clothing? It's like that. It's very stereotypical. Oh, also, Quasimodo is, his mother was Roma. He's, like, white. Super white, like pale, 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 and with red hair. And it's every, like, I don't understand. <laughs> the only reason that that is notable is because every other single Roma mentioned is brown. Very brown, like browner than a lot of Roma people are in reality. So that was an interesting choice. Disney. Yeah, it's like, what the hell? Why'd you like, why'd you like you explicitly made it very clear that his mom was like, Romani she was brown as hell in like the intro why does this boy have I, I'll grant you him being like a kind of pale because he's a shut-in but why is his hair red yeah it you know on second look that that definitely feels kind of like a like a 
teeth clenched. Like, like, like some kind of whitewashing weirdness thing. Oof. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like I guess because he's technically the hero of the movie, he, like, has to be white. Like, white? I don't know. I don't understand that decision at all. It's really, like, more bat, like, it's probably racist, but it's really more baffling than anything. Yes, I, they don't, because they don't hide it. They don't hide that his mom was who yeah. she was. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, it's a very strange, it's like, it's probably what that is, is that whole, like, of like what happens like like what happens to his mom is really in the book much more closely aligned with something that happened to Esmeralda and her mom and so probably what it is is they had created the character design for Quasimodo and were committed to it like long before they made certain story decisions and then like they made that story decision but like the like it's like, sorry, like the management chain will not allow to allow us to create a new character model for Quasimodo. Man, I, you know what? I would actually, I think it would be fascinating to have like a documentary or investigative reporting of how things that appear to be like yikes moments are just like the result of like an unfeeling process mechanism like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, I can't really. It's like there are like more brown people in this movie than any other of the like European set Disney movies like ever made. So I can't really like imagine that they would like sort of start out like, all right, we're going to make his mom Roma, but him white. <laughs> like That just seems weird. I, I yeah, I, you know, but maybe there was a boardroom meeting where somebody is like, are these the skin tones you're using? Do you think maybe he should be? You know, and and somebody in the boardroom is like, wait, what do you mean, you know? And the, the manager's like, you know. <laughs> like It's like, it's like, well, I noticed that Esmeralda is quite exotic, um, you know, whereas, whereas like, you know, I noticed Esmeralda is very exotic, whereas Phoebus and Frollo are more traditional looking. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, since we have these four main characters, do we really want two of them to look so exotic? Or maybe should we go three traditional, one exotic? I hate this. <laughs> I hate you it. know, somebody had that conversation. That happened. <laughs> I, well, and I, that happened. Like, and the coded language, like exotic and traditional. Yeah. Like, you know, that's how they talked about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like there aren't people like twiddling their fingers in a steeple, like we're gonna make them white. Like, yeah, it's not. It, I bet it's not usually quite that. Um, it's not usually quite mustache, that nefarious. Like yeah, Disney rolling. isn't actively run by the folks who run Stormfront, but you know our society is racist, and Disney exists within that society. And also, white Disney was a violent anti-Semite, so you know you got to take all that into account. Please don't sue us. <laughs> I. <laughs> this is. This is well documented stuff. Yes. We would not. This is not news. This everybody knows. <laughs> you could I, I doubt you could get that in front of a jury and and have them oh, yeah. buy that we're making that shit up. Uh, <laughs> God. Anyway, so Disney Disney is gonna unfreeze from his cryogenic chamber. 
come and actually i love the jews <laughs> and come and find our podcast and like kill us it's like some of my best friends <laughs> like you know why with all the movies like abraham lincoln vampire hunter like oh with God. all the movies in that vein that have been made i'm really surprised nobody has tried like a walt disney cybernetic zombie Oh, Maybe. that would be it. They, the Disney company probably is preventing it from being made. They've probably bought every script that's like that, and they have them all in a vault in holy, the Disney vault. There's a second Disney vault. It's the Disney vault where they hold the movies to increase the demand for them artificially. And then there's the vault where they keep all of the Walt Disney zombie scripts that are never going to be made. Oh, oh my God. This headcanon is, is great. And... So, like, their vault is under the main castle, but the Disney zombie movie is, like, under Space Mountain. I was thinking it was going to be under the um, the Haunted Mansion. Yes, that's better. That's better. <laughs> and all the pirate Walt Disney movie scripts are kept under the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. <laughs> there's, like, every... There's, like, every, this is, like, a classic... You know, a million monkeys just typing will eventually type Shakespeare, which is not how infinity works, by the way. Um, but that joke, but there's been every conceivable version of Walt Disney blank, Walt Disney <laughs> pirate, Walt Disney zombie cyborg, Walt Disney spaceman. And they just <laughs> store each type of script underneath their corresponding theme park location. It's like when they pick up the script, like in order to like get paid for it, you also have to sign an NDA to never reveal that you like wrote the script. <laughs> yeah. With like really draconian, it's like you will be assassinated. It's Beyonce NDA, you know? You will like be assassinated, but by a dude dressed as Cinderella. <laughs> 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 like those are the terms. So many witnesses won't be believed. Dude, he just yeah, got that's the thing. Did you that's the, go ahead? The the whole thing with like fucking uh DeSantis in Florida and wanting to take away like the Disney special autonomous zone status, I'm like Dude, this is a mistake, okay? Disney does not care about the quote unquote governor of quote unquote Florida. What? That is not a concern that they have. You are making a mistake, my friend. Yeah, I think Disney is what people who believed Cyberpunk 2020 would be is actually. So like in Cyberpunk 2020, the whole point was that corporations essentially become states unto themselves mm -hmm. like they have land and whole cities that they own they're like literally disney is... world is like the vatican it's like vatican city it, exactly so like disney as a corporation is what people think of this crypto this like corporal futurism now mm -hmm. yes yes and it's like desantis thinks that he's actually going to do anything to that institution like no 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 that's not gonna happen friend um, but anyway, back to the Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> this is going to come up whenever we do a Disney movie. It's just like... Every single time. You can't, like, you can't divorce it from the, the situation. Like, it's just they own fucking everything. But, um, okay, so, yeah. In, like, it's weird because it's, like, one of the major themes of the movie, because it's one of the major themes of the book, is racism. Is, like, 
prejudice and discrimination against Roma people, which, by the way, persists violently to this day in Europe. Um, but because that's not something we really know about in the United States of America, um, it is in and of itself, it ends up being pretty racist, I think. I had seen this movie as a kid when I went mm. to Paris in high school for a band thing. I mean, there were there were French people who just like were straight up. It's just like, oh, do you see that group of people over there? Just like, don't go over like those like they, I was just like Time my dad went to Paris. He got into like one of those weird street scams where a guy tried to hand him something and be like, you own this now or whatever. And then two friend white French people showed up and they were like, get the fuck out of here and like spit at the guy. Um, and the guy like ran away and they looked at dad and he was like, stay, they were like, stay away from filthy gypsies and then like spit on the ground. And it's like, that guy was trying to scam my dad, but like, holy shit, that's racist. I was, I was really surprised. Cause I was like, wait, are these guys are like, are you really talking about these people the way that I learned you shouldn't talk about anybody people? Like, yeah. I was like, well, because I was like, I, I, I mean, I grew up in a pretty tolerant, like, microcosm. So I was just like, I've seen shit about, like, segregation. This feels like Jim, the Jim Crow era. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like, my dad lived in France for a couple of years and he would, like, tell us some of the stuff that people said about, like, Roma people there. And it is, like nasty and it's way better in western europe than it is in eastern europe in eastern europe there are straight up like people setting roma people on fire and shit that still goes on it's it's like we don't know the half of it in the united states and because like because we have a tendency to like believe people who remind us of ourselves and because we don't have like really any exposure to this type of culture like, usually as white Americans, when, like, white Europeans, like, say, like, oh, like, it's, they're not even really a, a, an ethnic group or a culture. It's just they're, they're nomads and they're, and they're thieves and this, that, and the other. Every, the same things they've been saying for a thousand years. Most Americans don't, like, interrogate that. They're just like, okay, like, I don't know why you lie. <laughs> you know? Um, and so, like, our understanding of, like, what is really a group of cultures, like more of like an umbrella, like Roma is almost more like, like more like Native American, you know, than it is like Cherokee or whatever. Um, though there are like some subgroups who like are just like nowhere Roma, right? But anyway, it's complicated. Yeah, so it's like our our conception of these people is like highly stereotyped and we frequently use slurs in America without knowing their slurs. Like, I grew up with this phrase when it like, it's like, oh, man, there's only two chocolate chips in this cookie. I got gypped. Like, that's a racial slur. That's the same as saying that you like that guy, like, really Jewed me down when I like when I sold my car to him. It's that's it's the same as saying that you would never say that because that's horrible. I, I but we don't know. We didn't we didn't know. I didn't know until I was in high school. I didn't know until college. Like, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know until college, and it's still, like, every, like, I'm way better about it now, but there are times where it would still come out, because it was just, like, 
everybody said that when I was a kid. Like, it just... And there was, like, nothing to tell me that that was wrong. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it was just, like, it's still ingrained. It, it, thankfully, better. But, like... Yeah. You know what? Literally, an episode of House taught me that. There's an episode of House where there's a Romany young man who's being treated at the hospital and there's cultural conflict. Yes. Yes. Yes, (laughs) And that's how I learned about that slur. I was like watching House in my room and I was like 16. I was like, oh, shit, that's news to me. I remember because his family is like wary of him getting treated. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Not without cause. Not without cause. Yeah, not without cause. Um yeah, so so this movie obviously is going to be like a little bit fraught coming into the modern era with these conversations, but I still think it can be watched if you understand that context. Like and it is historically accurate in that sense, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like you know, the use of that particular term is historically accurate and is also accurate to the book. Um, but is not great. And their costuming, I'm not going to say it's like out and out racist because also like I'm not a historical clothing expert and there are like it, it is like, you know, not like entirely out of sync with the costuming of all of the rest of the white characters in the movie, but it doesn't feel great, you know, so it's just it's a little... There are moments where you're like, oh, I don't know, I feel kind of uncomfortable with this, Ugh, you know? Um, so it's just like, it's one of those things where it's just like, well, just like be aware. Don't like watch it entirely like uncritically, you know? Yeah. Um, Like as long as you're like prepared to like just be like, okay, like, you know, and if you like, it's, it's good to like, like as adults, I don't think that watching something in a movie can make you do something that you would not have already done. And as an adult, you have the critical thinking skills to not, like, think something racist about Roma people that you didn't previously think based on watching Hunchback of Notre Dame. But if you have children, it is good if you're going to, like, let them watch it to just be like, just so you know something that me that people didn't used to know but that we know now is that that's a bad name to call roma people you know and to just like talk about that because they're small children and so they will unquestioningly absorb those kinds of like aspects of worldview but as an adult the hunchback of notre dame can't make you think anything that you didn't already think yeah and i mean they're pretty much painted as the good guys yeah, so, they're the underdogs. Yeah. So it's like it's just like it's it's definitely the degrees to which it's like, oh, uh, this feels kind of racist are definitely not in any way malicious, just ignorant, you know? Yeah, which you can't all you can't necessarily say about a lot of cartoons. <laughs> yes, but, that's but, very true. But, but we could say it here. So um mm-hmm. I think that it's worth a watch. It's a quick watch. It. It's 90 minutes, you know, which kids films all used to be 90 minutes. Oh, so good. And I wish I could play you the outro music here because it's in that era of 90s Disney movies where they had these soulful boys to men. It's like Tony Braxton would sing the outro, you know. Lion King had it. Uh, Pocahontas had it. Aladdin had it. They all had it. Hercules definitely had it. Every single one had it. 
and you'd be walking out of the theater as a as a kid and this this crooning would be playing so and you would like yawn and mom and dad would be like yeah it's getting late (laughs) (laughs) i want to be i want to go back i want to be a baby again So that's, I, I feel like I've said my piece about this movie. I, I feel like I have too. Yeah, I've said like most that I, oh, the animation is really fucking beautiful. Just to be clear, like the art is beautiful. The animation is beautiful. It's so fluid. Beautiful. The, they do use quite a bit of CGI, but it's pretty tasteful. It holds up. They mostly use it for like crowd scenes where they're like, we're going to show like 300 people walking through like the plaza in front of Notre Dame and we're not going to animate every single one by hand. And and so, like, if you're looking for it, you're like, oh, that's CGI, but it mostly looks fine. Like, it mostly so, holds up. I've seen modern anime that use background model CGI that's worse mm-hmm. than yes. Disney's 1996 background model CGI. It's actually yeah. kind of stunning um, to, to hear that myself say that. They also mm-hmm. use the CGI to create 3D spaces in yes. like dynamic camera panning that mm-hmm. really you see like okay they're moving into digital animation here yes yes like they had the they just had the ability to do like it's when you start to gain the ability to sort of do things with the animation that you could previously only really do with live action um because it's like now with the advent of digital animation it's like the, like you can do any anything you imagine can happen in animation. Animation has like no ceiling like live action does. But when it was everything was hand drawn, you know, there were limitations. It's fucking hard to like, you know, like simulate a drone shot of Notre Dame when you have to dry, draw every single panel by hand. That's fucking hard. Well, yeah. And they, expensive. They do this scene where Quasimodo swings down and it pans up and over and like it, it, it. It is a 3D camera panning and Mm -hmm. you look at it and it doesn't look stunning now, like shocking now. But I saw it and I was like, holy shit, this movie was made in 1996. Like Disney definitely had the money. Oh, yeah. To use that tech that early to make something that I was just like, okay, well, this is clearly the beginning of like really heavy use of. Like, think of Aladdin. Like, some of the mm-hmm. scenes they do in Aladdin were clearly built on that same tech. Yeah, definitely. Like, the Cave of yeah, Wonders it's... scene where he's flying mm-hmm. around. That's all CGI. And it yeah. still looks okay. So, mm-hmm. they they clearly did that well. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's just, it's something we kept commenting on while we were watching it. So, I wanted to make sure. I mean, obviously, anything Disney, you know, that's their whole thing. It's like, wow, it's the art is beautiful. The animation looks fantastic. That's their whole. Less so now, honestly. I'm tired of these big eyed women. They all look like insects. Um, Move (laughs) on. Like something else, please. But, um, you know, at least up through the Disney Renaissance era, it's like, wow, it's so beautiful. It's Disney. Um, But I just really want to make sure that we that we noted that like it looked really fucking good. Like it's like really like honestly, like from a technical perspective, just like really perfectly executed in terms of like the animation, the art, the music. It's all really excellent. So thank you for joining (laughs) us. Uh, probably will be a while before we do another Disney movie, but I'm sure we'll pick something more modern Mm -hmm. next time. Uh, Not Frozen. 
Yeah, but something else with one of those insect women. <laughs> Rapunzel, or the what's that one called? I don't. Tangled. Know. Tangled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe she has a, those big eyes too. Maybe a Pixar movie. Oh, we yeah. should do Monsters Inc. Anyway. Oh um, my God. <laughs> Mike Makowski. Um, oh my God. Okay, so I have been Chris. And I've been Paige. And this has been and- the Mateys. <laughs> Um, this is already on our premium feed, so I'm assuming that if you are listening, at least in the first two weeks, that you are already subscribed, and we thank you for doing so. You can also always find us online, we're Animates Podcast on Facebook, at Animates on Twitter, and Animates at gmail.com with the numeral 8 instead of the letters A-T. As always, we really appreciate you, and would like it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.